Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. Folks, my guest today on the podcast is retired Lieutenant Colonel Oakland McCullough of the U.S. Army. And during his 23-year career in the Army, Oak, I guess we could call you Oak. Can I call you Oak? Absolutely. That's what all my friends call me. Oak held numerous leadership positions in the infantry and armor branches. He also assisted in disaster relief operations for Hurricane Hugo in Charleston, South Carolina, Hurricane Andrew in South Florida, and hopefully not the hurricane that is impeding down on Florida today and tomorrow. And Oak is the author of Your Leadership Legacy, Becoming the Leader You Were Meant to Be, where he breaks down years of professional experience and leadership. He's also a regular speaker on the subject of leadership and believes it's the responsibility of today's leaders to pass down the torch a positive leadership for a better tomorrow. A wealth of wisdom on the topic of leading people is definitely something the world needs a whole lot more of right now. So let's get to it. Lieutenant Oak McCullough, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate you having me on the show. Well, awesome. And and, and first and foremost, I, I, I truly, um, I love having vets on the show. We celebrate them. We bring light to their causes, their charities, and really just... Um, shining a light on everything you do. And thank you so much for your years and decades of service. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Well, awesome. So, and, and, and you're welcome. And I wanted to open up with a distinction. I heard you make in an interview. You were talking about servant leadership versus authoritarian leadership in the military. For my listeners who aren't experts, I'd love if you could break down the difference between the two, because it's something we hear a lot about. Yeah, so everybody thinks that in the military, everybody's an authoritarian leader that they tell you, you know, you're going to do what I tell you to do when I tell you to do it, and that's it. And that's not the case. We have plenty of those in the military, and sure. I've served for some of them, right. and you hate serving for mm-hmm. them. But, uh, but I've had some great servant leaders, and, and I had a boss one time, and this, I, this is the best way I've ever heard it explained. I had a boss one time who retired a four-star general, and he said, Oak, leadership is on a scale. He said, and on this end of the scale, you've got the authoritarian, micromanaging, do it as I tell you to do leader that nobody likes to work for. And on the other end, you've got the servant leader and it's closer to Attila the Hun and it's chaos. And you wanna be as close to chaos as you can be. And he said, and the reason you wanna be there is because that's where creativity happens. That's where you use other people's ideas, other people's talents, other people's skills. He said, and the way you get there is that you train the people that you have working for you, so you trust them, and then you give them the resources, time, people, money, whatever they need, and then you give them the authority to get whatever it is you're asking them to do done. He said, you can't ever give away responsibility, that's yours. Your name is always on the blame line, but you can give away as much authority as you want, 
And that's how you get to that chaos or really close to it. And that's where people will surprise you with what they what they do for you. That that that's tremendous, and it, and it's an an analogy, obviously, to you know the corporate world, the the, the corporate world, oh, of, absolutely. Of, of, it, those it, who thrive it, in it, chaos, right? Because that's what real leadership is. You know, all all boats float in calm waters. Right? That's right. When those waves get going, that's when the real, you know, the real captains um, shine there. But let's hit, let's hit the rewind button for a moment. And whenever I talk to folks in the military, I love to hear about their journey. Some folks are just lineage, family, military. Some folks have gotten into trouble in their youth and they found that military was a <laughs> yeah. discipline that they needed. Um, yeah. I'd love if you could kind of fill us in. I mean, and from my understanding, you didn't always, you know, when you were younger, you know, that wasn't the path. And correct me if I'm wrong there. Well, what was your path into the military? Yeah, so um, so I, I do not come from a military family. I had an uncle who was in for a few years during Vietnam uh, in the Army and an uncle that was in the Navy for a couple years during Vietnam. But that's it as far as in my that I know about in my uh, uh, in my family. So I was I really didn't decide to about the sophomore year in high school that this is what I wanted to do. And I, I was always captain of my sports teams. I was always president of my class and student government. And so I kind of saw this leadership thing. You had it in you. Yeah, I had it in me and I liked it and I, and, and I, I was pretty good at it. So so I, I decided that's the route I wanted to go and I wanted to be an officer in the army. And so I went to the uh, United States Military Academy. I did not graduate from West Point, but I went there for two years, played baseball there and then uh, left there, helped run my father's uh, business for a couple of years. Um, there and then went back to school and went to ROTC where, by the way, I met my wife. Uh, she was in ROTC as well. She was an army nurse for eight years. And so uh, went through ROTC, got my commission and I was started off as an infantry officer, did my first five years in the infantry. And I finished up as an armored cavalry officer with my last 18. And you know, my father-in-law uh, always asked me, he said, oh, why, why are you doing the military he said with your talents and your skills and your discipline and all those things you could be making a, a lot of money and i and i mean money is important but that's not what what's that's not what drives everything no it absolutely isn't um so i told him one day i finally figured out how to tell him why i do what i do and i said look my father never finished the fifth grade <laughs> my mom never finished the tenth grade Yet I got to go to the United States Military Academy at West Point and an officer in the United States Army. Peak. Nowhere else in the world do I happen. Yeah, if I served, I served so that other people like me could have the same opportunities I had growing up. And 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 that's tremendous. And let's pause there for a moment. Um, as I mentioned before, you know, I, I take a lot of pride in having you know veterans on this show, and I think we need to hear more from our past and present service members. And the one thing that I always find interesting and fascinating and where you could provide so much value is the transition. And I'd love to hear about your transition from, from military, active military to civilian corporate life. Yeah, so when I did, got ready to retire from the Army after 23 years, my last assignment, I ran an Army ROTC program in Mobile, Alabama at the University of South Alabama. And so I got ready to retire. Uh, we were gonna stay there in Mobile. Uh, we loved it there and so so I was looking around and I really didn't want to hop into the rat race of corporate America. I wanted to still continue to serve. I, I believe in service. And so I wanted to continue to serve. And uh, <clears throat> so there was an opening in the food bank. Uh, 
for the associate director who, so I ran the day-to-day operation and the guy who was running it was a retired army colonel and he was looking to retire. So I was going to be the uh, associate director for a couple of years and then move into being the director. And so I ran the day-to-day operation of the food bank and, and it was, uh, cause I believe, and I say all the time, leadership is leadership. Doesn't matter where you learn it. Doesn't matter where you practiced it. If right. you can it's lead, a core skills, same transferable core it, skills. You can lead any organization. So, and when I when I took over the pro, the food bank there um, as the day to day operations, we were handing out 1.2 million pounds of food a year. When I gave it up, 18 months later, we were handing out 3.8 million pounds. We so I was running day to day operations for 52 counties over three states: Mississippi, Alabama, and the Panhandle of Florida. And it was during that time that the BP oil spill happened. And so then we had to deal with that issue uh, so, on a day-to-day basis. And, and, and I think some, one of the things that's overlooked by so many Americans is they, they immediately, you know, their mindset goes to foreign wars. But the U.S. military, one of their biggest um, responsibilities is disaster relief. It is. In the United States, the military, the equipment, the manpower. So I want to talk about that for a moment. And you've dealt with 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 some of the worst ones um, out there. From your perspective, you know, how have you seen leadership shine during during these particular moments with with you? And how do you transcend that to your teams? Yeah. So it's it's funny. I, I tell a funny story. I was a senior first lieutenant when Hugo hit Charleston. And I was at Fort Stewart, Georgia. So just not too far, you know, two, two and a half, three hours from Charleston. So our unit got activated. I was a platoon leader. I had a, you know, an infantry platoon leader. I had a bunch of infantrymen, 32 of them in my platoon. And we get sent to Charleston. And, you know, I grew up in Northern Illinois. So I know what t- tornadoes are. I know yeah, those you've seen, you've seen disaster. I had no idea what a hurricane did. When we were driving in there, I was like, holy cow. I mean, trees snapped off like, like toothpicks. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And Charleston was just devastated. So they take us in there and they say, Oak, my boss calls me and says, Oak, this is your warehouse. You're going to run this warehouse for the next 75, 90 days. I said, I said, I'm an infantry. I have no idea how to run a warehouse. He said, figure it out, young man. <laughs> and so, so I, I went to my, my platoon. And I said, okay, guys, this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to do it. Um, and so we, we, ran, out. we ran that warehouse and, you know, we took stuff in, we kept, put certain things in certain areas and we kept a, a good record of it. And then when people started to rebuild, then we knew where things were and we started handing it out to them and they could use them to rebuild. But, you know, it's, I tell people all the time, like I got, I had 32 decorations during my time in the army. The two that I'm the most um, proud of are my humanitarian service medals for helping with Hugo and Andrews. And that's fantastic. And again, thank you so much for your service. And to switch gears a little bit, you've also had operational deployments in places like Saudi Arabia, Iraq, um, and Bosnia. And as much as you're comfortable sharing, um, what does operational deployment look like in these high stake areas? And how does that mode of leadership differ? Or going back to what you said before, leadership is leadership. Yeah. So I, well, just hit that first. I think leadership is about trust. Um, if the people who you are leading, whether it's in the army or whether it's at a food bank or whether it's in a corporation, if you want to lead people, they got to trust you. And if they don't trust you, then they're not going to follow you. So, and if they trust you, they will do anything you ask. And I, and in the army, if that up to and including charging a machine gun nest, I mean, they will do whatever you ask if, as long as they trust you. So I, I, I've had a couple of different type of 
experiment experiences in the in the deployment world, operational deployment. So Desert Shield, Desert Storm, of course, big big uh, deal. Had a lot of time to train up over there, and then had uh, had real modern combat. You know, tanks on tanks, artillery, all that. Whole different story from what I did in, in Bosnia, where I was a congressional liaison officer and running in and out with uh, with uh, uh, the team and just making sure every the congressman and everybody knew what was going on. And then in in uh, in Kosovo, I was the operations officer, so I ran the day to day operations of an armor battalion in a peacekeeping operation. So we were kind of standing in between the Albanians and the Serbs, trying to just make sure nobody was killing each other. And we were fairly successful at that. Um, you know, there was still some things going on, but but we did a pretty good job, I thought. And and the guys on the team did a fantastic job because again, that's not what they're trained to do. They're trained to to fight wars, and yet here we were handing out. It was funny because on a three block radius, we were handing out food and blankets one place. We were preventing people from killing each other yeah, on this other place. And we were, were we were arresting people down the road, so it was very a little different. Bit, little 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 bit of everything, and and it goes to it's transferable skills. You know, that's something that we like to talk a lot about in my industry. By trade, I'm a recruiter, and we talk about transferable skills, especially when folks are pivoting or transitioning. And how do you explain that? So when you talk to um to 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 younger vets that are that are that are making that transition as well, how do you coach them to talk in a job interview about the skills that they learned in the military and how they could apply to to civilian life yeah that's a great question and, and and there's more and more getting out like that right now um and i tell them you, you got to emphasize the things that make you unique in the military you know and that's i think i think the things that all those other people outside the military do these things as well or have these skills but certainly in the military it is your the emphasis is on self-discipline not discipline but self-discipline doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do you have to doing those things that, you know, even if nobody's ever going to check up on it. So you, you learn that skill, you learn dedication to, to mission accomplishment. That is huge. You know, and I always equate that to those, those guys that you have that you can give them a skill, give them a, a, te uh, a job and you can walk away and you know, you know they're going to get it done. It, you never even have to go back and check. You just know it's going to happen. Um, and that, those are the kinds of things that uh, I think you bring to, to, uh, to to the civilian world that a lot of people don't understand. That's that's tremendous, and and I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the 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 biggest plague affecting returning vets, current vets is mental illness. Um, the suicide rates are absolutely astronomical. In my opinion, we aren't doing anything nearly close to enough that we should. Um, from your perspective, what could we be doing better? What could we be doing more of? And it's not just donating. It's not just supporting. But what what could we do every single day? Yeah, absolutely. It, Actionable. It is, yeah, absolutely. It is. It is really um, a, a plague. It really is, and we got to figure it out. Um, so, I, when I tell people, I, do, I was just on a, a show. I don't know about a month ago, and we were talking a little bit about this. And I said a couple of things that you can do. Certainly, you can donate money to organizations that are helping because they do need money. I got right. That. And the money is a fuel to support it. Absolutely. absolutely. Let's not overshadow yeah. that. Absolutely. And you can also donate your time because that they need that as well. But here's what I tell people is find it. When you get a, a veteran that's in your neighborhood um, that moves into your neighborhood, become their friend, get to know them 
and you will figure out when they're when they're hurting. I, I, and I give this example. I I have buddies who uh, were in Afghanistan. I was never in Afghanistan. Uh, Army just didn't send me there. But I have buddies who went there. And when this debacle, and you can't use any other word than that, of how we got out of there happened, I had a lot of buddies who said, oh, did I just waste my year, my two years of my life? And I said, listen, no matter how we got out of there, no matter what they did, that does not change your service there or not at all. You still serve there honorably. You helped people. You did what you were told to do. So I think just providing that support, being there to listen to people is huge. And my wife has taught me that. I mean, my wife's a nurse. And, you know, when we go places, she said, well, we want to leave about five minutes early or 10 minutes early because we might see somebody down in the parking garage that wants to talk and we need to listen if they want to talk. And, and it's, that's huge. And it really has changed the way I look at things. And I think that's so important. Hey, everybody. First, I'd like to thank you all for spending time with me and my guest on the podcast. This show is my canvas to showcase amazing people from the world of recruiting, entrepreneurship and leadership and unpack their career journeys for everyone to learn from. But this show is also a business generator for me, as well as creating thought leadership and endless amazing content. And I've taken what I've learned in the past three years and over 200 recorded and 100 live shows and distilled it down into a digital playbook that I call the pause course. Now you could learn how I build, manage and produce the podcast and use it to drive real business development and relationships. Today, I'm sharing all of my secrets behind the podcast and you can get it all at thepausecourse.com. This course is for anyone, whether you're starting out or an advanced podcaster using it for B2B, B2C, it's filled with all of my insights, learnings, tips, tricks, and templates. So get it now at thepausecourse.com and learn all my secrets. Thanks. You said something that kind of piqued my my ears a little bit. Is it is it worthiness? Is that is that one of the core um, you know, pieces that they're eating up vets where they go in and listen, some of them have to do things that they shouldn't have to do. And that's the, the, the part of part of war. And then politics happens and we have to withdraw from Afghanistan and it's a complete disaster. Is it that worthiness of like, why did I have to do this? Why did I have to take that action? And that just weighs even heavier on them when they don't see the end results in a positive yeah. light. I, I think at I the think end of the day, we're humans, right? Like how do we, pro how do we process grief? How do we process guilt? You know, no matter how much training, no matter how much goes into the mindset of the military, nothing could prepare you for that. No, I can't. And this is what I tell people all the time. I said, look, we spend a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort to train these young men and women to do what we ask them to do. And we do ask them to do some horrible things sometimes. That's just, that's the nature of the that's beast. Worse. Sorry. But we do almost nothing when they come back to train them to go back out into the civilian world. We do very little. We're, we're starting to, we're starting to figure it out, but we're still not doing nearly enough to, to help them get back into the civilian life. Yeah, and I, I certainly appreciate that perspective. So let's switch gears a little bit, and I want to talk about your book, Your Leadership Legacy, Becoming the Leader You Were Meant to Be. We'll link it up later. We'll link it up on the show notes. Everyone can check it out. Um, the first question I ask anyone who's written a book, what was the process like of writing the book, and what did that teach you about yourself? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I, and here's what I tell people. Uh, so I, I've always wanted to write the book, and and I knew I eventually would. But what really was the emphasis to write it, I was at a uh, motivational speaker who came to our Catholic church and he was kind of talking about motivation, but he was also, we were also discussing how to rejuvenate the, the Catholic church with youth today. And it was about a three hour 
presentation. Now he wasn't talking the entire time. There was music and other different things. But every time there was a break, I'd walk up and I'd talk to him because I kind of wanted to get out on the motivational speaking as well. And then eventually he said, so do you have a book? And I said, no, not yet, but I'm thinking about it. And he looked at me and said, well, Oak, stop thinking about it and write it. Start writing. And so that was the 15th of February, 2020. And I went home that night and I wrote out the table of contents. The next day I started writing. So the 16th of February. Framework is everything. And on the 12th of February, 2021, I published the book. Um, So got to it. So, you know, there were days when I had days off my day job that I thought, okay, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to write a chapter or a book. And I'd sit down there and it was like, yeah, nothing's coming. You couldn't get the wheels moving. Then there was other days when I would come home from work and I was worn out, but something came in my mind. And so I would stay up for two, three, four hours and I would write. The, write. the other thing that, that, I, that, I, that I tell people who are starting to write a book, because this happened to me several times before I finally figured it out, you know, not the smartest guy in the world. Um, I would be laying awake at night in bed and I think something would go in my mind about, I want to put that in the book. And I think, I thought, well, I'll, I'll put, I'll write about that tomorrow. And I'd go back to sleep and the next morning, guess what? It was gone. I couldn't think of what I was thinking about. So what I did was I finally figured it out. And so what I did, I put a, a folder on my computer and in, in that folder was each chapter. And in each chapter folder was a blank Word document. And so at two o'clock in the morning, when something popped into my mind, I just ran into my office, pulled that, wrote down a a sentence or two, and then I went back to bed. And that that was enough to at least jog my memory of what it was I was wanted to talk about. And and that really helped me out a lot. It really did. That's that that's fantastic. And 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 the book defines core leadership values, core leadership traits. And leadership doesn't correct me if I'm wrong here. And I'd love your perspective. You're always learning as a leader. You're always looking to improve as a leader. In my opinion, true leadership starts with, with self-awareness, understanding Absolutely. your strengths, understanding your weaknesses, surrounding yourself with people who could backfill your weaknesses, people who could support your strengths. But what are some of those practices that we could continue to do daily to build as a leader? Yeah, so I, my, my book and my presentation is not about theory. There is no theory in my book whatsoever or my presentation. It's all about everyday things that everyday leaders can do to improve their leadership skills and their abilities. So one of the key things that, and I do believe leadership is leadership. So this book is not about military leadership. This book is about leadership day in and day out. Um, and I've had people in all professions who have told me they love the book and they use it on a daily basis as kind of like a hand guide. So, you know, I, I somebody showed me one the other day, I was at a conference in Vermont and somebody showed, and it was tabbed and highlighted and it was, kind of makes you feel good. Yeah, it was like a workbook. Yeah, exactly. Right, like so, you, did, you did your homework. Absolutely, uh, forty years of it. Um, so, so I, so the things that are really in my book, a couple of things that are, are, I think, critical is number one, you hit it. You got to continue to learn, and I tell people never, ever, ever turn down a chance to read about leadership, um, articles, books. Uh, publications, whatever. And uh, now there's a lot of crap out there about leadership. I got it. But you can learn stuff from that too. You can learn about what I don't want to do that. Um, and I tell people autobiographies are the best thing to read because then not only do you learn what the person did, you learn why they did what they did. And then the other thing about that is never turn down a chance to be the leader. Good leaders want to lead all the time. I want to be in charge all the time. Now I know when I come home and I walk into the house, I know I'm not in charge anymore. 
Okay. I know where my place <laughs> is in the house. You know I mean, your rank in the household. There's a reason I've been mar- happily married for 35 years. Okay. God bless. But, but I never turned down a chance to be a leader. That's how you get better. If you want to, if you play basketball and you want to get better at free throws, you don't shoot layups, you shoot free throws. If you Put want to be, reps. be a leader, um, then communication. If you can't communicate, you cannot lead, period. Uh, that, that is that is what leaders do. And so in my book, I lay out how to get better at all forms of leadership, written, verbal, nonverbal, listening, which is huge. Active listening. Listening in this world anymore. You know, my wife says it all the time. She's like, you're not listening. Open your, <laughs> open your, it, it happened this morning and I blame yeah. the faucet. I had the faucet on the sink, but I really actually wasn't listening. I was barely yeah. awake, but you know, active, <laughs> that, that's not the same, but act, active listening is important. Really listening to what somebody has to say and pausing your brain from automatically jumping to the thought that you want to say. That's and I right. think that's the biggest problem that a lot of people, I mean, I'm guilty as charged and I've oh, gotten I, a lot be- better in my life. I am too. And, and we, Cause you have you an have agenda. Conscious effort to do it. Uh, and, and the, and it really, L- Lieutenant Colonel Phil, who eventually became Lieutenant General Phil, taught me the power of listening when I was a captain. I wish I would have learned it when I was a lieutenant. That's one of the things people say, what's the one thing that you wish you, that you know now that you wish you would have knew, known when you started? And I said, I say listening, the skills of listening, because it, it's powerful. It is unbelievably powerful. How do you improve as a listener? What are some of the, what are some of the practice? Let's, let's talk actionable. How do you improve as a listener? Yeah, so you have to make a conscious decision. So uh, one of the things that I do, I, that that again, Lieutenant Colonel Phil taught me was when you st- when you pass somebody and you say, "How you doing today?" Don't let them just walk by and say, "Fine," and just keep walking. Stop them, look them in the eye, and say, "No, how are you doing?" And actually listen to it. And then what he what he I'll tell you the story. I used to walk by him in in the hallway in the office building. And he'd say, first time he said, Oak, how you doing? I started to walk by and he said, no, no, come here. How you doing? And I told him and he said, how's Kelly doing? My wife, how's she doing? Didn't the kids have a soccer game this weekend? How'd they do? And so he, and I, you know, he'd do that two or three times, you know, every once, once a week he'd do that. And not once, he was a busy man. Not once did I see him look at his watch like he had somewhere else to be. And I thought I was special until one day I stuck my head out the door and guess what? He's doing that to another captain down the hall. Mm-hmm. So it shows the power of what it is. I mean, the other thing that, uh, so always engage people and let them talk. Don't even worry about what you've got to say. Just let them talk. And I had another boss who who was a um, retired a lieutenant general who said, Oak, never, ever, ever turn down a chance to go get your own cup of coffee. He said, mm-hmm. okay, how, how high a rank you get, in your organization, whatever, never turn down a chance to get your own cup of coffee. There's two things happen when you do that. You show that you're human, that you can get up and get your own cup of coffee. Somebody doesn't have to wait on you. He said, and second of all, on your way to the coffee pot, you get to stop and talk to people along the way and listen to them and let them tell you what's going on. Amen. And he said, and if you're lucky, you got two or three different ways to get there so that you can go different ways. Mix it up. And then the other thing that I tell people is, I tell young men and women is every day, go out and find one person in your organization and find out something new about them. Not about work, personal. Find out their spouse's name, their kids' names. What sports do their kids play? What hobbies do they have? Every day, find one person in your organization and find out one new thing. And the way you do that is by listening to them. 
That is that is that is fan, fantastic, fantastic advice. And I was looking through your website and I saw a list of potential speaking topics for events, and one stood out to me, and it was quote possible causes for future wars. And that one stood out. The question that came to mind regarding that point: What, what do we need from global leaders today that are the ultimate decision makers on whether or not conflict like that begins? Yeah. So I, I think you know. We've never had peace in the world. I don't think that we ever will. But no. but we we have to make an effort to to, to make sure that it's there are ensure the eminent destruction of the entire universe. Right. Absolutely. So we got to we got to make efforts, and I think it it, it all comes down to uh, again a huge part of it is communication because so many if you look through history. So many of our conflicts have started because people didn't understand what was happening or what somebody's point of view was. And it was just a misunderstanding. Um, you know, there was times when nobody wanted a war, but nobody could prevent it because nobody was talking. Nobody was understanding what the other people wanted and needed. And it was and it could have been given. It could have been it happened. You know, both sides could give a little bit and we probably could have avoided it. But nobody was talking. Yeah, it's 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 sad but true. So let's bring it home a home here, Oak. Who who is the most admirable leader that you've witnessed, either personally or you know in 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 the in the ethos in the media? Yeah, absolutely, the most amazing person I ever met in person, leader I met in person was Colin Powell, General Colin Powell. Absolutely amazing. I've heard stories about person. him. So here here's the story. If you Please. want to hear the story, absolutely so, share. For, for, That's what we're here for. During the first Gulf War, he was going to address all the generals. So I was a general's aide. So all the generals are in this big circus tent. They got there early, and there's one star to four star generals in this tent. And all the they're all talking very loud. All the aides are up against the back of the tent. You know, we don't sit down. We're we don't get a chair. We don't get a chair. <laughs> and uh, and they're all. I mean, it's so noisy in there. Everybody's talking. All these little sidebars. General Powell walks in could hear a pin drop. Everybody knew who was in charge and it wasn't them. It was him. And so he gave this amazing talk to the generals. That's not the amazing thing. You would expect that, right? All the aides, we ran out after the talk was done to get the vehicles ready and everything to get the generals out of there. I I was standing there by the, my general's Humvee and I watched General Powell walk out and he walked, he didn't walk to his Humvee, he walked over, there was a specialist and a sergeant, two enlisted soldiers standing next to a Humvee. He walked over there and he talked to them for 15 minutes. Now, he didn't have to. And you know, that was 1990. I remember that like it was yesterday. Can you imagine that specialist and that sergeant? They'll never forget that the rest of their life. They tell no. that story every day of their life, I bet you. It, it's so interesting too, because I've asked this question to folks from different walks of life, different industries, and it's always a similar type of story where it's, you, you never, you treat, it's that old, it's so cliche, you, and I actually hate this cliche, it's like you treat the same respect the janitor as you do the CEO, right? Like, I, it's a little Agreed. bit dated, it I, it's, it's a dated but, but analogy, but, but you get it, absolutely. but what you're doing is you're leaving a lasting impression on somebody. And the same thing goes with remembering somebody's names. I've seen, I've seen organizations, 500 person organizations where the CEO knows Almost, I'm quoting there for anyone listening. Um, almost everybody's name. Yep. Or they and know something huge. about them, and and it's just it makes people feel included. It makes people feel like that someone cares about them, and I and I think that's really what what, what stands out there. So let's bring it home here, Oak. Um, 
this show for me is my masterclass. I've have 240 guests from every different background perspective. That's amazing, by the way. Thank you. I, I certainly I certainly appreciate that. And for me, it's learning. I'm always learning. And I'd love to ask this question. What is the single greatest piece of advice that you've ever received that you take action on every day? It could be a mantra, something you wake up, an affirmation, something the first thing you say in the morning, last thing before you close your eyes at night. Yeah, so I would I would say there's two things. Um, it's about people. I, I had a boss that, look, I'll, no matter what you're doing, certainly leadership, but everything is about people. So treat the people right. And Richard Branson, whether you like him or not, Richard Branson came up with a great quote. He said, train the people so they can leave, treat them so they don't want to. <laughs> I mean, that's what it's all about. And and if you if you get to know people, because it's about trust, people and trust. You know, if you can build the trust with people, you got them and they'll stay forever. But the piece of advice that I that I was told one time that I adhere to all the time is lead from walking around, do not lead from behind your desk. Nobody wants, nobody's gonna lead you when you're sending emails. What they want is for you to be down there where they're doing what whatever's happening. And that's always been my philosophy. Wherever my people are, wherever the, the key thing going on is, that's where I'm gonna be. And I don't care if it's out in the middle of a snowstorm or if it's 100 degrees or if it's at, on an assembly line, whatever. And, and so what I do is I walk around and I say, Adam, you know, I go where you're working. I say, Adam, what, why, why do you do what you do? What, what is it that I can do to help you to make your job easier? So you're going down there where they're working, not calling them into your office. You're going Being down there and ask them questions. Um, and again, that all starts to build that trust. Um, and, and it's all about trust. It is. Fantastic. I, I, I certainly appreciate it. You shared so much wisdom. I encourage everyone to pick up the book, which I'll link to uh, in a moment here. And last but not least, um, when you look back on your life, and we've all had those really tough, hard moments, and I always like to say the treasures in your ship pit, the treasures when you're at your lowest, and you look back to those low times in your life when you had to pull yourself up, claw your way back up out of that dark hole and see the light and find the light and harness that inner tenacity to drive yourself forward. And on the other side of that, when you look back and you're grateful for the life that you've created, the service that you've done for your country and for others and helping the citizens of, of, of this great country, what drives you? What is your compass? Oak, what is your North Star in life? Yeah, for me, it is uh, integrity. Um, I, I, I'm a firm believer, you know, integrity and faith. And I think they go hand in hand, uh, whatever your religion is, whatever your faith is. Um, for me, those are the two, but integrity, it, you know, I, my dad, again, never finished a fifth grade. One of the smartest men taught me a lot of things. I am today who I am because of him, good and bad, I guess. But he said, son, nobody can ever take integrity away from you. You have to give it away. Uh, he said, and guard it like, like it's the most important thing in your life. And because and it, it is, it again, is. it goes back to trust. If, if, you, if nobody can trust you, then you, 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 what are you doing? Uh, nobody's going to, take you seriously. So to me, it's integrity. It's one of those things. And, you know, I've had to do some things and I've had things done to me in my career where I, I did the right thing, but I got punished for it. And, and, but, you know, I can look at myself in the mirror every morning and I can say, yep, I like what I see. 
uh, I did the right thing. And that's what, that's the most important thing. Do the right Amen. thing because it's the right thing to do. Amen. Doing the right thing every time. And, and that's what I teach my kids. And that's what I preach as well. Um, yep. Oak, thank you so much for joining me today. I want everyone you could, uh, to check out um, LT. C-O-A-K-M-C-C-U-L-L-O-C-H.com. I know that's a mouthful. You probably didn't write it down while you're listening. So I'm going <laughs> to link it up in the show notes. Uh, Oak, where else could folks find you? Where could they connect with you? Where could they learn more? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on all the social media, but spend most of my time on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter. Uh, but I'm, I got my website. And uh, and if, if if you like what you hear, you know, I, I again, I do speaking. I was just in Vermont last week. I was in New Orleans the week before that. Uh, happy to come talk about leadership and not just come for 50, 45 minutes and talk. I, when I go, I spend if you got a conference, I spend the entire conference with you if that's what you want to do. Um, so I, I this is my passion at this point in my life to talk to as many people as I can about leadership because it's and so keep important. Sharing. And keep sharing your your abundant wealth of knowledge. Oak, thank you so much for joining me. And everyone listening today, I hope you got a ton of value out of this. Please check out his book. You know where to find out more. All the links on the social media at www.thepodcast.com for all current past episodes and information. Follow us on other social media channels. Remember, take care of each other. Look out for one another. And catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever. But for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.